Hey, good morning, Awakening Church. How are you? Come on back. Come on back. Oh, this is awesome. This is so fun. It's so great to see everybody outside, get to hang out. Um, is anybody else being tortured by the smell of tacos in the background? Oh, man, I cannot wait. I'll try to be short uh, so that we can get into uh, tacos. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Even just setting it up, it was an incredibly fun as far as like thinking about, hey, we're going to be outside and partying and hanging out. If you're brand new and you didn't know we were doing this, welcome. Uh, just a heads up, we're just doing one service uh, today, and then we're going to just party and hang out as a community. And so uh, if you didn't come prepared, uh, tacos are just $5, $20 per family. And if you didn't if you can't do that, just talk to me. We'll figure it out. Um, but we're glad, glad, glad to have you. Uh, wanted to also say before we move on was a uh, just a big welcome back to our Haiti team that just got back. Yeah, awesome. Where is it? I know I saw a couple of, how many of our Haiti, they got in late last night and then they're here this morning, which is awesome. If you were went on the trip, we had seven go on this trip. Would you just stand up real quick so we can see you? Awesome, man. So not this week, but the next week, we're going to just spend a, a season and get to hear from you guys. Uh, really excited. Got to hear, get your update on the email, which was awesome. Sounds like God did some really cool stuff. So can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, this uh, now that Micah said it, man, I, I'm envious of you in the shade. It, it's starting to get warm. I should have put on some sunscreen. All right, hey, let me pray for you, and uh, or for us, really, and I'll, uh, I'll dive in. Jesus, thanks for uh, this moment. Thanks for the time to be outside. Thank you for uh, just bringing us together in this community. I ask that you would speak to us, uh, that you would uh, do something in this moment that is of you, that we would hear from you, that we'd be changed by you, God, that you would, that you'd use me and your word and, uh, and you would speak powerfully, that our lives would be changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a series called Unreligious, uh, and we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And what we find is when you study the life of Jesus, and a lot of people have a lot of opinions about who Jesus is and what he was about. And maybe if you're new to church, you're, you think Jesus is a pretty religious guy. And, and what you find out is when you actually read the stories of Jesus, he was actually not very religious at all. In fact, he was distinctly unreligious in his day. Uh, in fact, uh, he was known as a partier, and today we're partying, which I love. Uh, he was known as one who hang, uh, hung out with tax collectors, sinners, drunkards, and uh, instead of hanging out with all the quote-unquote right people, he hung out with all the quote wrong people. And we just get this amazing picture of who Jesus is and what he's about. And then as a result, what it is, is this fresh challenge for us as a community. Because we're not called to be church people, we're called to be Jesus people. We're called to pattern our lives and live in such a way that, it, that we look more and more like him. And we get into some patterns, maybe some religious patterns, uh, because it's easier, it's, it's less messy, 
And it's, it's such that it makes us feel okay about things. And yet Jesus goes to the uncomfortable places. He enters the fray and the mess of life. And for us as a community, we're not called to be a religious institution. And for us as a church, we're a church plant just almost two years old. We're not called, we're not even called to be a meet and gather like this. We're called to be simply followers of Jesus that our lives together as a community would look more and more like Jesus. And in that, we wouldn't be very religious. And one of the things we saw a few weeks ago that is so important for us as a community, that those who were nothing like Jesus actually liked him. And then the challenge for us as a church is the same. Do those who are nothing like us us, those who we don't really even like, do they like us because they did Jesus and that he is our pattern, our example. He's the one we follow. Uh, this morning, as we talk about it, we're, we're looking at Jesus and how he chose his 12 disciples. And it was so different than the way the religious leaders uh, chose their followers. Uh, in fact, it reminded me of, do you remember like ever playing sports and like on the playground and having the lineup and having the two people that they were the two cool guys or the two cool girls and, and they got to pick the teams? You ever have that? You remember that? Yeah, I mean, come on. And then they like pick out and you're like just kind of hoping pick my name, you know, say my name. Just don't let me be last. Don't let me be the person that at the very end, at the very last moment, it's not like you even got picked. You know, the last person didn't get picked. Isn't that the worst feeling? Like you didn't even get chosen. There's two of you there and you got not chosen. And so as a result, you ended up on a team because you got not chosen. I, it, that in, image impacted me so significantly as a kid. When I was... Um, nine years of age, and it's amazing to think uh, how these times, like, so shape who we are, like, nine years old, and I have, like, this distinct memory. We moved from Texas, this rural one-stop uh, sign town, you know, it was a big deal when we got a Dairy Queen, uh, and we had a feed store and all those sort of things, and so we moved from uh, rural Texas to Santa Cruz, California, and so I showed up as this little Texan kid with Hey, y'all, you know, I mean, I had the full-blown accent, and sometimes it comes out, and especially if I hang around with anyone from the South, it comes out. And I moved there to Texas, it's fourth grade year, and I, and I show up, and I am the epitome of not cool. I mean, just, it's just not, I mean, just think about it. Texas, you know, rural, farm, horse, Santa Cruz, surf, you know, skate, like Santa Cruz, cool, Texas, and I'm, I don't mean it's not, but it's just not cool, okay? <laughs> and um, I remember first day on the playground, first day on the playground as the not cool kid from Texas, and we're on that line, and I had that hick accent, and I remember going down, and they went down the line, and I was the one that was not picked. I was the second to last person instead of choose you. And in that moment, I made a decision. It's interesting. I it just it was the, made a decision. I don't ever want to be the not picked person again. 
And so I'd figure out how to be the best at whatever it was because I never wanted to experience that feeling of being not picked, (laughs) feeling inadequate, feeling like people just didn't want me. In fact, at nine years of age, I came to the grips and reality of what we all know to be true. We, we all understand this, that every single person, every single person has an intrinsic longing to be accepted. It's built in, hardwired into the DNA of who we are. There's this deep down longing, intrinsic, made, God image bearer made to be accepted, to be approved, to be wanted. And yet, there's something else battling, and we know this, we all know this, that at the same time, there is this intense fear, intense fear of being completely rejected. Isn't there? I mean, just think about your life. I mean, just think about when was the last time when you felt fully accepted or approved or wanted in that moment? What was it about that moment? And we run and we, we live in this tension so often, this tension of this deep longing to be accepted, and yet at the same time, this intense fear of being rejected because I don't know about you, but I think most of us in some area, in some way, or in some feeling have felt like the last person picked at times. And so we're always reacting to that. I think some of the ways we react to it is then we try to manipulate circumstances around us because we deeply long, we deeply long to be accepted, but we don't want to be rejected. And so maybe if I manipulate uh, things and figure out how to be accepted, part of it, I I see it like especially awakening with a lot of young uh, people. I don't mean to say that in a bad way. It's a good thing. Uh, But I see it in the dating world. You see this in the dating world all the time, right? And you try to manipulate, uh, you know, being accepted and you don't want to be rejected. And so you dress in a certain way. And so you drive a certain thing. And so you manipulate in conversation and maybe say something at a particular way to make people think you are someone maybe you're not. But as a result, you never know if people really truly want you or that they simply want something from you. And so deep inside, you're wrestling, wondering, wondering, am I accepted truly for who I am, or am I just accepted because of what I put out? I, I think the other way is not just simply manipulation, but, but then we, we do this, we mask. We so deeply long to be accepted, we so deeply long to be the person pick that we hide things in our lives that we don't think are acceptable. We we think that we don't like and that other people won't like. And so we put on a mask and we play a game and it's a charade and and we cover up the ugly side of ourselves in such a way saying, you know what? Okay. They wouldn't like me if they saw this. And so we hide and we cover up and there's parts of our lives that no one knows and there's parts of your life that hurt and there's pain and there's parts that you, would, you wouldn't dare to share because what if they reject you? And as a result, we tend to believe that no one could fully, really want me because if they really saw me, they wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't want me. 
I think finally, not just manipulation or not just kind of masking who we really are, the final area, and man, this falls so in line with what it looks like, I think, in a church world, is measuring up. We somehow try to meet certain standards, somehow try to qualify, that if I perform at a certain level, then you'll have to accept me, then you'll want me. Uh, this shows up all the time in our work world, doesn't it? I, I mean, at the job, that's exactly, you're paid for how you perform, and you're only as good as your last performance. And, and, and so you don't know if people really accept you. You just know that they accept you for what you can do for them now. And as a result, we believe we're only wanted for what we bring to the table. And this happens, happens in the church world too. Happens when we say you have to look a certain way to be accepted and part of this community. You have to act a certain way to be accepted and part of this community. You have, you have to talk a certain way to be accepted and part of this community. And if we can just kind of lay it on the table right in front of us and just say, this is true of humanity. Every single one of us deeply longs intrinsically in who we're made to be fully accepted. In fact, that is a God-given image bearer imprintment of who you are and yet there is this shadow side that influences how we go about getting that because there's an intense fear of being completely completely rejected and then and then we come to Jesus and then we come to Jesus and he picks his disciples and I love how he picks his disciples because it's so counterintuitive. It's so different than the way we would have picked them. It, it, it is in such a way that he, he completely, completely turns the world upside down by the 12 guys he picks. And yet, we wouldn't pick any of them. In fact, they would be our last pick. And they were his first pick. If you got your uh, Bibles or maybe your phone or something, uh, would you open up to Mark chapter 3 verse 13? We don't have notes this morning, um, and so maybe in there, if you don't have a Bible, we can get you one um, there. But listen, listen to how Jesus, how Jesus engages this reality that's true for us, that we have this deep innate intrinsic desire longing to be accepted and yet at the same time this deep intense fear of being rejected and we've experienced it over and over and he's watched this he's seen this in fact in the religious world there's a whole group that's ostracized from God because there is this measuring up and meeting certain standards and the, the people who couldn't fake it you know would then go live like they wanted to but then there's the people who in the religious world, they just pretended, they would put on a mask and pretend like they had it together and yet did not. Jesus says this, verse 13, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to himself those he wanted. I love that, by the way. If you got it uh, in your Bible and you feel okay with, you know, putting marks in your Bible, just underline that. He called those he wanted. Jesus, Jesus didn't get the last pick. 
These are his first pick. And he looked around and went, I want you. I'm calling to myself those that I want. And they came to him. Verse 14, he appointed 12, designating them apostles. Now, does the number 12 mean anything to you guys? Help me out. Help me out. Yes, okay, what does it mean to you? Yeah, the 12 tribes of Israel. Absolutely, very good. And so if you don't know the history of Israel, there was the patriarch, his name is Abraham, and he had a son, Isaac. And after Isaac then was, I'm going blank, help me out here, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And his 12 sons became the representation of the nation of Israel. Now, all the way back with Abraham, God made a covenant with this man. He said, through you, through you, Abraham, I will not only bless you, but I'll bless all nations through your people. Through your people, the whole world will be blessed. And Jesus here, he sets up 12 and chooses 12 as this symbolic picture of this new restorative creation of saying it is happening. Well, the promise all the way back to Abraham is taking place now. And this is the picture of the total people of God whom the whole planet will be blessed through. He says he appointed 12, designated apostles. And then notice this, I love this first thing, that they might be with him. I love that. It it goes on to say, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons, that they might do what he does. That's what a disciple is. A disciple knows what his rabbi knows, and a disciple does what his rabbi does, but he doesn't start there. The order is so important with Jesus. The order isn't what can you do for me and how can you perform and how do you show up? He called to himself those that he wanted, those that he said, I choose you in the line of where you're being chosen. You're not the last pick. You're the first pick. And the reason and the point is that you're with me. That's the starting place with Jesus. Not that you fix yourself up, not that you figure things out, not that you perform for others. The starting point and the motivation for Jesus is to be with you. And is the foundation, by the way, for all ministry with him long before you do anything for him. See, we do things for him so we might be with him. And he says, no, 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 no. You're with me. And out of relationship, out of relationship, then I'm going to give you a new purpose and a place and use you mightily. But it starts just with being with me. And you know, did you notice, like, look at none. He goes on to say who these 12 were. He gives this list. Look, look at the list. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, he gave them the name uh, Barnogis, or which means son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, uh, who betrayed him. I mean, just think of this. Of the twelve, six we know almost nothing about. We, we don't have much information about who they are outside of their name and pretty much how they died, according to tradition. They were not wealthy. They were not notable. 
They held no spe- special position. They were not ne- necessarily educated. They had no theological training, no high-ranking religious official. They were ordinary, flawed, diverse humans. He said, I choose you. I want you. I mean, just think about it. You go down the list, you think Peter. He, he, he starts off, and he, Jesus gives him a new name, Simon, now Peter. And Peter literally means rock. He's going to be this rock. He's going to be the one who's going to lead this movement. And he's a fisherman, and he's like, all right. But if you know anything about Peter, is Peter wasn't a rock. He had a rocky start with Jesus, right? I mean, he's the one, think about this, he's the one that, that denied Jesus at the end of his life as he's going to the cross. He's the one that made bold claims but didn't back them up. He's the one where we get this, this term, petered out. It's from this guy. You ever heard that? I mean, it's an older phrase, but he just petered out. I know, come on, stay with me. It's because of him. And he petered out. It comes to mean a whole lot of other things today. But that was this guy, not a rock, but a rocky start. And Jesus says, I want you. You belong. Yeah, I mean, just think. Jesus looked at him and said, you, you don't see it now. You, you don't even actually, you're not going to live up to it for a long time. But I see the potential in you. I'm going to name you for what, who you are and who you're being made into, not who you currently are. You are Peter. And then it goes on, James and John, sons of thunder. In fact, John was known, the early church tradition, John was known as a thunderous voice. Basically, though, these guys were just loudmouths. These guys, these guys are asking about, you know, who's going to sit at his right hand? These guys, when a certain Samaritan town wasn't actually all that receptive, they go to Jesus and go, Jesus as if they had some special reality. Do you want us to call fire down on the village? Sons of Thunder. That's how they got their nickname. Loudmouth, outspoken. And Jesus says, I want you. I want you. You belong to me. Andrew, I just love this. We don't know much about Andrew. He's the brother of Philip, uh, or of Simon, rather. Uh, and he was a fisherman, but his name simply means manly. Do we have any, like, manly guys here? No, no, not one manly guy. It's good to know. Fine. Rough, gruff. Love to camp. You measure, you know, you go camping and you measure the ounces because you're going to carry what you have on your back into the woods and you're going to live and forage and all that kind of stuff. He says, if that's you, okay, there's one, good. There's one manly man in the crowd. You belong, you belong to me. I want you. He goes to Philip. We don't know much about Philip. His name literally means horse lover. He's a lover of horses. Yeah. And if you're, we got any animal lovers? (laughs) All right. I'm going to. He says, even that, I want you. If you're a part of PETA, I want you. Bartholomew. Now think about Bartholomew. His name is really Nathaniel. Bartholomew, his surname, you know, his last name, meaning son of Talmai. He lives in the shadow of his dad. 
He lives in the shadow of his dad, and he, he at the same time, Jesus says, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't want your dad. I want you. You're living, or maybe you're living in the shadow of somebody, and Jesus says, I want you. Matthew, a.k.a. Levi, tax collector. His name literally means gift from God. Here's a guy that was a gift from God, and yet at the same time rejected everything about God and capitulated to the the oppressive empire and was a tax collector exploiting his own people. And Jesus calls him calls him where he was at to start a brand new life. And he says, you belong to me. I called you. I want you. You were not even a last pick, Matthew. You're on nobody's pick. You didn't get drafted. And yet, I want you. Thomas, the only thing we know about Thomas is he's a famous one that's known as Doubting Thomas, right? And the, and the disciples saw Jesus, but he did, and he says, I'm not going to believe it until I see it, and I touch him and do this. And Jesus shows up to him at the, uh, on the resurrection after he, he, yes, and he shows him his wrist, and he says, Thomas, come touch. And so some of you, some of you are doubters. Some of you are wrestling with deep doubt, and you feel like there's no place for you, that God couldn't possibly want you. And he says, even in the depth of your doubting, I want you. You belong to me. James, son of Alphaeus, he was known as literally James the Less, James the Little, or James the Younger. Maybe you feel like you're just the young one. Maybe you feel like a nobody. Jesus says, I want you. Thaddeus, a.k.a. Judas, we know zero about. Like, man, nobody knows me. Jesus says, not only do I know you, I want you. Simon the Zealot. Now think about this. Simon the Zealot, he was a part of an extremist faction in, in Judaism that, that was at war, in a subversive war. He was a radical underground, today we'd call terrorist, to overthrow the Roman Empire. This is who he was. And Jesus says, I want you. Now think about this. People who didn't belong together, Jesus said, you belong together. Think about Matthew, the tax collector, who capitulated to the Roman Empire, and then you have Simon the Zealot. These guys are not only on opposite ends. If they saw each other, they'd fight each other. And Jesus says, even though you don't belong together, because you belong to me, you belong together. See, your differences don't make a difference when you belong to Jesus, when, when you have the greatest thing in common that you belong, that you're wanted by him, you can put all other differences aside. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And maybe you feel like you've done that either to God. Maybe you feel like you've done that with friends. You've betrayed those closest to you and you feel like you've done what... What could never be forgiven? And Jesus says, I want you. I want you. You belong to me. See, every person on this planet has an intrinsic longing to be fully accepted. And yet there is this intense fear of being utterly rejected. And we live under this constraint um, so often that our behavior must precede our belonging. 
that we have to act a certain way, whether it's with manipulation, we have to act a certain way, maybe it's with masking who we are, act a certain way of measuring up, but how we behave will proceed whether we belong, and religious people are famous for it, and that's why nobody wants to be a part of religious stuff today, because it's all about judgment and guilt and who you're not. And Jesus says this, let me flip it upside down. Belonging precedes behavior. You belong to me long before you could ever behave a certain way. You belong to me before you become someone or something. You're mine. I want you right where you are. See, our sense of purpose and calling in life flows out of our sense of belonging and being with Jesus. I'm his. I'm his kid. Now, as a, uh, I got married as a very young man. Uh, I was 21 years old, which is crazy. Anybody 21 and married here at all? No? Um, And what I got to be honest is I had no idea what it meant to be a husband. The only roommate I ever had was my roommate in college, uh, and we were just dudes, you know? I know how to talk to dudes. I had no idea how to talk to a wife. And here's the powerful reality, and some of you are taking that step into marriage, and some of you have and started families, is that marriage, you start with belonging when you say I do before behavior and becoming a great spouse. Now, you have that process, but but when we stood at the front of the altar and my wife and we said, I do, at that moment I said, "I, I belong to you, and my wife received me, and she said, I belong to you. And I received her. Now here's the reality. I didn't have a clue what it looked like to be a good husband. But I was a husband. It was my state of being. And I was with her. And over the process of the last 12 years, I'm learning and becoming what it looks like to be a great husband. But let me tell you, I'm still learning how to talk to girls. And I have a nine-year-old girl, and I'm still learning. I'm like, Jenny reminds me all the time. But I've gotten better. I've gotten better. But I mean, when we were first married, uh, when we were first married, uh, because this is the way I talked with my roommate. We'd be sitting, you know, in the dorm room at, at college and, you know, the trash needed taken out and I'd be in the middle of something and be like, hey, Steve, take out the trash. And you're like, no, you do it. No, man, I'm busy. You do it. I'll do it this time. You do it next. Okay, good. Now, I tried that with my wife. <laughs> and so the very first act as a husband. We're in our brand new one-bedroom apartment in Chicago on the sixth floor. It's amazing, right downtown. But our trash was full. And I said, hey, Jenny, take out the trash. <laughs> By the way, just to FYI, don't do that. <laughs> and she just, like, got quiet, and she's not, like, she's a pretty even-kill person. And then, I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I can't remember, but I think she even might have cried, and that's a big deal for my wife. I'm like, what's wrong? All I did was ask you to take out the trash. I had no idea 
that I needed to go, hey, Jenny, if you wouldn't mind, um, would you possibly be up for, you know, taking out the trash? I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. But if you wouldn't mind, I had no idea. No idea. But thank God. Thank God becoming a great husband didn't proceed belonging to my wife. Because, by the way, we still wouldn't be married if that was the case. <laughs> and the same is true with you. The same is true with Jesus. It says belonging. You're belonging and you're being with him. He wants you. You're wanted. You're his first pick. And it precedes your becoming and your behavior and what you can do or where you, even you should be. He says, I choose you right where you're at. Take you as you are. And the beauty, the beauty of the gospel is this, that belonging, being with Jesus, is this simply determined by your res response to Jesus. That's it. It's not somehow figuring out how to fit in with this crowd or somehow to look the part or somehow to figure out just the right thing. He says, belonging, being with. You notice what it said? He called to himself those he wanted and what? And they came to him. See, the reality in this moment as we gather here in this beautiful outdoor area, your belonging to Jesus is simply determined by your response to him. He wants you. You may feel like the last pick. You may feel like you're constantly in turmoil. And Jesus says, the God of the universe wants you. He wants you so much that he would do whatever it takes to be with you and go to the cross to die for you and to take your place that you might be with him. That is the gospel. It's not your status, not your performance. It doesn't matter your age, your background, your education, your accomplishment. And the lies we believe is all too often we believe that because I don't accept myself, because I don't approve of my own self, then God couldn't and wouldn't accept or approve of me. And that is a lie. Jesus, just take this in, would you? He wants you. He wants you. You belong to him. Right now, where you're at, you're fully accepted. And, and I just want to stop as we, before we continue on with the rest of our afternoon. And for some, you just need to refresh your hearts with that reality because you've been trying a lot and not resting in, in the reality that you're wanted, that you belong, that you're his. And you just need to step back and for where you're at, you just need to go, oh God, I've been trying. I've been trying to measure up. I've been masking and hiding. I belong to you. I'm free. I want to be, just be with you and enjoy that. For others, for others, you need to start a relationship with Jesus today. He's inviting, he's calling, he literally is saying, I want you. I want you. I've died for you. And belonging is simply determined by your response to him. How will you respond to his invitation? And you just simply go, God, I, I'm, here I am. I want a relationship with you.
And if you're in that spot and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to start a relationship with him, to step into being with him now. Now, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer, and it's nothing um, magical about it. It's just an honest confession to God. And if you're right there, would you pray with me? And would you, everybody just kind of pray with me right now? And if you're in a place where you'd like to start a relationship with Jesus, I, would you just pray this with me? God, I, I'm tired. I'm tired of playing games, and I'm tired of constantly wrestling with longing to be wanted and yet feeling so fearful and rejected. I believe that you want me. I don't fully understand it, but I believe that you want me, that you're calling me, that you want to simply be with me, that you want to give me a purpose and a place, new life. And so I put my trust, my hope in Jesus. Will you come into my life and make me new? I believe that Jesus was your son, is fully God, and he died in my place and rose again on the third day that I might have life. Would you come and make me new? I want to live out of my belonging from this day forward. And I just honestly, would you just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed, and if you started a relationship today, would you just do me a favor? Would, would you mind just raising your hand just so I could know and maybe pray over you? Just raise it up high. Cool. God, thanks. Thanks for this time. Thanks for your grace. Thanks. Thanks that you want us. Thank you that in your economy, we're your first pick, that you love us, that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.